Hello and welcome to episode 203 of What Most People Think, and you're speaking to, well, a guy that's been out on the veteran clubbing scene again at the weekend. I went to Park Life Festival on Saturday and um, played an absolute blinding game there. Daytime event, yes, was I the oldest bastard in a field of about 80,000 people? Quite possibly, but... I was also tucked up in bed back at the hotel by midnight with a fucking sandwich and woke up on Sunday feeling pretty breezy, to be honest. I, I think I played the perfect game. You know, it was like uh, it was like Formula One. I had pit stops at the right time, lager at the right time, food at the right time. And I really need to probably give this up. I'm 46, for fuck's sake. Uh, there was also a big weekend. It was a big weekend for politics with Boris stepping down, being pushed, stepping on a sort of gangway, walking the plank, essentially, and being thrown into the sea uh, by the Tory party, a combination of the Tory party and the political establishment, the blob, if you want to call it that, and then Nicola Sturgeon being arrested on Sunday. So luckily, I mean, I've got a brilliant person to discuss this with, is uh, Tom Walker, a.k.a. Jonathan Pye. Welcome back to the show, mate. Um, Thanks for having me back. Are you you sure that Boris was forced to walk the plank, or did he sort of... uh walk the plank knowingly, willingly, with sort of a slightly overdramatic kind of Shakespearean, tragic, uh, boring political statement. Do you know what I mean? He didn't have to go on that day, did he, in in that manner? If he really really believed his... um, Sorry, I'm going off on one already. If he really believed in his innocence, (laughs) surely he would... Keep going and fight to the end and take no, it to the constituents. It was or, it was or, it was the blob. It was Captain Blob yeah, standing there absolutely. like like a pirate on the high you're seas. Right. I mean, you're, we you're we, right. we will get into it uh, in more detail. But I, I did think it was interesting. Like if he wanted to make a splash with this news, Friday night is not the best time. To, it's probably the worst time to actually land uh, with it to there, get traction. There is that, but there's also there's something old school about Boris. Is he wants to make the Sundays? I think. He wants, uh, do you know what I mean? He wants, he wants there to be thirty pages in the Sunday Telegraph because that's a bit more his style. I, I think, mm. you know. Yes, I guess so. I mean, I... leaning back and as opposed to being on on the commute, just going, you know, uh, it's, he's more of a sort of. A, he wants he wants essays written about him in in the Sunday in the Sunday Express. Well, meanwhile, you know, Sturgeon getting arrested on Sunday and obviously, you know, as as happens with a lot of these political scandals, we can sort of act like we're outraged. You know, if you're not a fan of Nicola Sturgeon, you say, well, this is just, I'm, I'm so concerned about what's happening here. But really, everyone's fist, fist pumping, you know, around the country, all of our detractors. And I did think I did think it was just generally, I don't know, there was a part of me, if I had any sort of empathy at all, it's just being arrested on a Sunday. I, I just, I thought, that was, <laughs> I thought that that was a bit off, really, you know, and then unless they think the person's going to abscond, you go, all right, mon- Monday, let's just pick this up Monday. Well, again, maybe it's that political thing is normally, you know, police, they, they kick your door in at 5.30 in the morning and they're like, mm. well, actually, if you've been the leader of a major political party, then maybe we'll wait till you finish Sunday lunch. You know, it's a little bit more civilised. So maybe Sunday is the is the day to do it. Do you know what I mean? It's funny that it, it, it's that thing. If you kind of go two or three major political figures over the weekend, you've got Trump in the shit again, Boris doing what Boris is doing, uh, Nicola Sturgeon. But if you kind of like Nicola Sturgeon, you, you're like, OK, well, let, let's let's just have some due process here. But with Boris, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you bastard, or what? vice versa. Do you know what I mean? Everyone totally. 
everyone leaps on whoever they don't like and they kind of they just wait to see what happens with people then they don't don't care one way or another about do you know what i mean i mean that is some fall from grace isn't it you know and mm. boris if she has done what she's done i mean to be fair boris i feel was pilfering from the country whereas she was just pilfering from the mugs in the smp so at least she's keeping it it's the opposite of what you're supposed to do as a co which is she only stole from her own which is exactly. the actual <laughs> fucking opposite of what you're supposed to do. I was thinking like, uh, about, you were talking about the police like smashing down the door and I was thinking, you know, the classic Dawn Raid. Just as a complete tangential thing, Dawn Raid would be a great name for a, to be a drag queen, wouldn't it? Dawn Raid. Dawn Raid, yeah. Or a war, <laughs> or a war correspondent. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? We're going to Kiev with Dawn Raid. Yeah, yeah, that would be yeah. an example of nominative <laughs> determinism, which is a new word, <laughs> and a new word that I've got on the go. So we'll we'll be talking about all that. We'll also I'll be asking you, uh, Tom, about why sort of centre left blokes are so angry at the moment. The close it's almost like the closer they get to exactly what they want, they are becoming a bit more furious. So we will get to that. And, and then there's your excellent uh, new show of BBC Sounds, which I, uh, I I listened to a couple of episodes yesterday. So we'll be talking uh, about that too. Remind me remind me of its name. It's like like a, it's sort of a mock call-in show, isn't it? Uh, call Jonathan Pye, um, imaginatively titled. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we can get onto that, but I, I'm very excited by it. It's... Well, I mean, I would say, like, to people who maybe you get under their skin, like, it, within the first episode... Within the first episode, there are a number of barbs at the BBC and James O'Brien. So I would say that there's something in this for everybody. <laughs> there's something for uh, everyone, Yeah. Uh, new patrons. We've got Stephen Brindley. Just one new patron this week. Stephen Brindley. I often uh, speculate on what, just based on, again, nominative determinism, on who these people are based on their names alone. Well, Stephen Brindley, this, that's a vicar's ha- name. Ah, see, and I, I think we did this last time I was on and I came up with the same one. He sounds like a killer. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, yes. but he may have been a, a, a killer vicar. I mean, that would make the headlines. Well, I mean, that would make a great ITV1 drama, yeah. let's be honest. Killer Vicar. Mild-mannered Stephen Brindley. Yes. Uh, yeah, knocking off his elder sort of uh, flock. Um, yeah, <laughs> I could, I, it's, definitely, it's definitely ITV, isn't it? Uh, possibly yeah, stuff. ITV1. I think that if you wanted to make it a Netflix one, it'd just be incredibly sexy. And, and women do like Vickers. We know this from Fleabag. Yeah. So if you want to make it ITV1... Sexy murdering vicar, and in the first ten minutes, he has sex whilst wearing a dog collar, and that you, yeah. you got a show there. You got a show. And he, he's bisexual as well, so it's a little bit of everything for everyone. You know, he fucks everyone. Yes. By the end of the first episode, he's fucked uh, a lot of different things, including yeah. an, an inanimate object. That'll but get, there's get also his... been there's also been a few looks at a couple of the choir boys, and you're like, oh, this is this is going to get interesting. Yes, yes. Where um, yeah. where are they going? But they, I mean, this is the thing with these shows now. I do wonder if they think, fuck, we need to have something in the first three episodes that will get us disgust on Gogglebox, whether it's a <laughs> massive, whether it's a massive penis, whether yeah. it's uh, something sexually really disgusting. Is they need to get they yeah, need well, to kill a, kill, a, kill a vicar has all of that, mate. It's got all, big cocks and disgusting. It's got everything, dude. We should write this. Big cocks and dog tags. Um, do, no, dog, dog, <laughs> dog colours. Dog, dog colours. <laughs> uh, just going to shout out uh, just some board members, really, while I've got time. Uh, we've got board members Steve Temple, Darren Sherry and Susan Anton, who maybe sound like they were part of a kind of 70s collective band. You know, like um, who's like Marillion or who's the one that Stevie Nicks was in? Fleetwood Mac. 
speak with Matt. Yeah, yeah. Steve Temple and Darren Sherry definitely sound like session musicians. Darren Sherry, yeah. Uh, I think I've seen him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crooning. He's pretty good. Yeah, and then and Susan we... Anton. Susan Anton was one of those backing vocalists that actually did work with like different people, like George Michael, Elton John, and she was the third member of Pepsi and Shirley. Yeah, uh, and she <laughs> she worked her way to the top, should we say? She wow. <laughs> she might now. She might not be a board member for much longer. But that's the point of this section. We roast people, Sorry. and a couple of uh, VIPs. Uh, we I got. Lo- I love the fact you had to point that out. Yes, we're just, we're just joshing with you. We yeah, yeah. Well, they, yeah, they, yeah. these these are my these are my top level uh, patrons, so, mate. So sorry, um, patron uh, with VIPs as well. Let's shout out a couple of VIPs: Natalie Palkovich uh, and Stephen Hill. Now, our super patron, the main talking point, David Domain. We were talking last week. Uh, I was speaking with the brilliant Michelle Deswart. Very a lot of people. Uh, well, quite a few people got in touch. Said they thought it was one of the funnier episodes in a while, mainly because Michelle just right. took the piss. No, 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 because of Michelle taking the piss out of me. I see. Okay. All right. So that's the way. If in doubt, just just call me a twat. Um, The uh, we were talking about the the favourable treatment that good looking people get, and one of the the things I threw out there was that that conventionally good looking people, or put it the other way, ugly people are more likely to get convicted of murder and when found guilty, given longer sentences than sort of symmetrically good-looking people. Now, um, David says that there is a name for this, the halo effect, uh, the superficial impression of a person, uh, person's looks influencing one's opinion on other aspects of a person's character or actions. I mean, it is, it is this difficult truth, isn't it, of life that we don't admit, is that it informs so fucking much. But I think if, if someone's ugly and they've committed a big crime and you mm. see them on the telly, you kind of go, well... It was sort of destiny. It was destiny. Whereas if someone's attractive and they dub the crime, you go, well, something must have happened to them. Yes, yeah. So well, they must have had their the reasons. Victim. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I think that's why, and, and quite rightly so, uh, attractive people seem to sort of get off a bit more lightly. It is. I mean, it is, it's almost a superpower, isn't it? I mean, I, I often think about Brad, Bradley Cooper in a general sense, but he's such an impressive man, right? He's what is he, 6'2", he's, he's brig built, he's got these fucking like blue eyes, he's got this mane of hair. I think, what the fuck must it be like being Bradley Cooper just walking yeah. into a room? Yeah. Oh, who's the guy? Oh, fuck, he's in the new Barbie movie. He's in fucking everything. But oh, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. I, I, I. He's the one man. I he comes on a screen and I go, oh, sh- oh, shit. He's like, yeah. how can you not? Uh, it must be fucking easy being that hot and that sort of charismatic and that successful. And you're just like, I mean, good luck to you, mate. Do you know what I mean? Whereas actually, if it was a fat, ugly bastard, was Ryan Gosling, mm. I'd be like. Fuck off, mate. What are you doing there? But I think Ryan's earned it because he's an attractive man. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a virtue, is it? Some people are just born quite intelligent. And we never say, well, you know, we never try and decry that gift that they were given. It's, you know, beauty is, uh, it's a merit. It's a merit. And, and that's what's hilarious now is that, I don't know, you know this current trend of in adverts? How do I put, how do I put this politely? Is they Fat, well, they've just taken a more open-minded advert of what yeah. you, who you use to sell products now. And I don't know. Maybe there's some metric, and again, maybe David Domain could help here, of whether this is just a short trend where companies want to be seen as nice and then eventually go, fuck, we're not selling as much. Dove, let's get the skinny birds back. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think you're probably right. But also that there is a real... Uh, uh... 
it sort of it, it it makes itself. Do you know what I mean? Therefore, mm. I mean you, there is no way on any advert you would ever see a white family now. That you know, mm. it's always a mixed race family, and and that's just the way it is. And actually, it would be weird. It's got to a point you kind of go if you saw. It's almost like making a statement. If yeah. you had an all-white family with a with a union jack at the back, all being sort of, you know... Well, uh, we've, we've discussed this for a while on this podcast, trying to get to the heart. So on the one hand, there is this, this fact that companies, once upon a time, were nowhere near diverse enough for too long, right? So it needed... Change needed to happen. But then there's been this, what I think most people would agree, is a massive correction, probably an overcorrection. And I was trying to think, like, well, there was Black Lives Matter and there was a swell of uh, change around that time. But it, as you say, it seems quite baked in now. And I was kind of wondering why it always happens, whether it's a social agenda on the part of the companies or they just think in isolation, every single time we do an advert, we want to have diversity. And the easiest way, the moment you have two of the same skin coloured couple, then you and it's about a family, you're not going to have any diversity. So they just, it's not Absolutely. like a thing. But it must be weird for people that live, right? You yourself live in London, right? I grew up in London. It's probably not as unusual to us. If you're living in Cumbria... Absolutely. And, and, we, and we think, oh, my... I've, I've got this sort of thing about, like, anyone that is, doesn't live in London... Uh, anyone that lives in London who visits outside London of my metropolitan elite friends, they always come yeah. back and kind of go, oh, so white. It's so white. We went to the town of not London, and it was so white. And you go... Yeah, yeah, that that that's England. That's that's outside any major ring road. That that is, that's where you live. So yeah, actually, I mean, if you live in buttfuck nowhere, um, you know, with a, a you know two hundred people living in this village, uh, you must be watching the telly. Go, where have all these non-white people come? Because because you don't see them any day. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, and, and that's the point. It's difficult to discuss this as two white blows because people can yeah, then take yeah. away the impression where they're saying they've got a massive problem with it. It's more like it's changed so much in a short space of time that it's it's remarkable in a way that it deserves remark in, in yeah. the old-fashioned sense uh, of the, the, the word remarkable. And and as you say, that is, that's an interesting net effect is when people who live in diverse areas go out of there, they, they almost feel like it's been some conscious effort Yes, to, exactly, to... <laughs> that, that it's inherently racist because it's not particularly diverse. But you go, well, that is the rest of the country. And yet two white men talking about this is, isn't necessarily a good look, but it is merely mm. an observation. But, but I think, I think the, the philosophical discussion isn't one about whether, this, you know, whether these uh, uh, social movements uh, are good or not. It's whether uh, large corporations attaching themselves to these movements yes. is inherently altruistic or whether, it, or whether there's a cynicism to it. And my argument would be there is generally a cynicism. I mean, you do, I think we're in Pride Month at the moment. Um, and, you know, companies are falling over themselves to have the fucking rainbow flag everywhere. And you go, mm. well, you know, I guess that is progress in one respect. We go, where were you 20 years ago? So with these gestures, they, I think the point where you start to become cynical is when they become automatic, right? So it's the same with taking the knee in football. There was a period immediately after George Floyd where it was a meaningful gesture. And then you just got the sense that people didn't want to stop doing it because they didn't want to be the ones to stop doing it, yeah, right? Yeah. So then you think, well, there's actually no fucking, like, there's no point to this now. This has become almost a, a Pavlovian thing that you just do. And I think that's that's in a way what you're describing with Pride Month. Yeah, and, it, and it's also like people in their Twitter profile who say, you know, anti-fascist. And you're like, well, that's, isn't that the default position? I don't, yeah. no, I, I did not assume 
fascism when I when your Twitter thing came up, you know, uh, unless yeah. there was a fucking swastika in the thing. Do you know what I mean? And that that kind of that that idea that that if you um, here's one, here's one. Okay, this mm. this is in the mission. I did a play last year, right? And I was in, you know, and when you do a play in the theatre, you get a program, right? And your program biog is, uh, you know, you write it out, and then a month before you go on stage, someone comes around and goes, "Can you read through your bio?" and make sure it's right okay and i directed through i went yep and they went uh and do you want your uh, what gender pronouns do you want to use and i just sort of went oh i'd never been asked that before maybe i'm you know but i'd never mm. been asked. i went oh and then they went oh unless you'd rather not and i went actually i'd just rather not you know it yeah. really wasn't a political statement in in my personal view uh, i i don't feel like it's uh I don't feel I need to express mm. what my gender pronouns are. I don't think it helps anyone. Um, but just in that moment, I didn't give it much thought. Anyway, I was the only person in the programme without gender pronouns. And it really looked like a fucking statement. And it, like, it really wasn't. But you go, ah, OK. There now, there now becomes a point where it's not just a progressive or an allegiance. It's expected. And mm. if it's it's expected and if you don't give it then that is a political statement within itself not not having the ukraine flag not having the you, yeah. you know whatever it is you suddenly go ah you have to be really careful because if you don't do it people are going to um take something from that that might they might infer something from it that's not necessarily the case that assumption of bad faith i think is is a yeah is i mean it's almost with, got you know yeah, it's almost like what? Sorry, you don't have thoughts and prayers, or you're you're yeah, not yeah, just, yeah. you're yeah. not just sweet Charlie. Yes, yeah. no, I, I think that that what you've just said there's a brilliant illustration of how these things work. Okay, let's do a quick thank you and a fuck you. Just a quick thank you, just going back to Park Life Festival, is uh, to Gen Z, right? Yes, they're out of their fucking minds when it comes to progressive <laughs> politics, and uh, and uh, I don't think they'll be able to see it through into their mid-30s. But in terms of just a generation of nice kids, right? So it was a one-day festival, Tom. I went to a one-day festival 10 years ago at SW4 in Clapham, and it was the most feral fucking like human debris I've ever seen in my life. There were fights, there were people off their faces like so early. We got to the, the site at about 5pm and it had been open since about uh, 11. And these kids are just walking around all night. Oh, excuse me, how's it going? You know, no one, no one was that wasted to begin with, right? That was, a, that was the interesting thing. And I just suddenly, and like the boys weren't that toxic, right? Like they were just nice, you know, they weren't being dickheads or stuff. There was, yeah. I just thought, oh my God, maybe, have I got this fucking horribly wrong about Jen said, is, is all their, is all their nonsense bullshit actually worth it just for like a really nice uh, generation of, of, of human beings? Having said that, I did see some videos from the Sunday where there was a couple of blokes fighting and stuff, but by God, in, in, with 160,000 people across 20, 48 hours, you're going to get a couple of punch-ups, but and, by and, and, and a, large, a sunny day, presumably, sunny day. A sunny day, day yeah. Well. Yeah, there's going to be a couple of fucking knobheads, aren't there? Yeah, and I just, I just thought, like, and I've noticed this about Gen Z, they they are quite, I don't know, I don't know if it's their exposure to social media and stuff. I, do, I wonder if they're a bit more emotionally intelligent than previous generations. I, I, think, I think they are, whether it's sort of uh, pseudo-empathy or not, you know, uh, if, you, if you don't look at it cynically, that, that, that there is an em empathetic, if that's not the right word, uh, way about them. They are thinking of others and not otherizing mm. people and that sort of language is the sort of language they use so I think 
they are a bit more open. Um, I, I went to a festival recently, and my, I, normally I do Glastonbury every year, and that's just something else. Do you know what I mean? But I did one yeah. called Shindig, Sister Sledge were headlining. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was like, I don't know, four or 5,000 people in a field, and everyone was just lovely. And even the kids... It was the sort of festival you would send your teenagers to and go, okay, yeah. let, let's try this one out. But even the kids that were, you know, trying out Class A's for the first time, they, they were sort Sister of, Sledge. There was, yeah. Well, also, there were, there, were, there were some more dancey bits going oh, on. Oh, right, okay. Um, yeah. but, but they were the, the headliners, for what of a better word. And just quickly, your your yeah. fuck you for this week. Just a quick one. I think it was you. You were saying Nadine, the whole Nadine Doris thing. According well, I, I just uh, I was just listening to um, Nadine Doris talk to Piers Morgan, which is enough to uh, you know make you bring up your breakfast. But uh, it's just her talking about this idea that she's not been given this, you know, the uh, the keys to the House of Lords. But and she's the way she's spinning it as this kind of class thing rather than you know. Um, uh, merit thing do you know what I mean I think yeah she she is such an absurd character to me there, there's a there's a moment in the new podcast little plug where I, I've tried to sort of recreate an MP that is a la Nadine Doris and I was been I've been worrying about it going oh if I painted this character a bit too broadly and then I was mm. listening to this interview today going no Nadine Doris is actually like that I mean she she you know she went let's not forget she went from you know this this media hungry backbencher eating kangaroo penis in the jungle to being Boris Johnson's Secretary of State for culture. Do you know what I mean? And this sort of, I, d I don't know, maybe I am a snob. Maybe she's Well, right, well look, I, I, you know a favour, right? So you, the, the, she's on, been man. denied, she's been denied going into the House of Lords. She is an incredibly successful like novelist, sold probably more books than most people in the House of Commons combined, right? And she did have this, I mean, I don't know, like her, her, her kind of, uh, her early life is quite... Is quite shocking. So actually, the story—I think the story—is legitimate in a way, like her her narrative as such. I think the presentation with Nadine has always been the problem. You know, like when she's staring out like Krishnan Guru Murthy. I think yeah, I mean, like uh, yeah, the, Channel the, Four. Those bizarre interviews where someone, where a, a politician will ask her a perfectly reasonable question. And it's yeah. sort of like that, that how dare you ask me a perfectly reasonable question? Uh, and there's just this sense and it's, you know, I always get sort of attacked for when you look at Trump and you go, I don't believe a word he's saying. You go, well, that's your problem. And Trump, he's, he never says anything that is demonstrably true. It's just whatever is true in that moment. Mm. To, and she's cut from that cloth. She will say whatever she's. I've seen her lie through her teeth in an interview because you go, that's the party lines, and you know she will. Uh, I can't, I can't stand her. But is know? this not just like, um, is this just not a presentation thing? Because like you know, there's a lot of accusations with Keir Starmer at the moment about flip flopping on key policy issues. But because people on the left just generally have a sense, even though they have problems with him, that he's generally a good person. It's just about you'll then find a reason as to what. No, he said that because the country's in a different position, or he's only doing that. Like, I mean, it, that's what I mean is that there's a stylistic issue. If she spoke with perhaps as much composure um, as Keir Starmer, maybe it'd be a different outcome. Yeah, I guess what yes, I'm saying. You, maybe, all right, let, then let me put this to you. I mean, uh, you could say that if you wanted someone to be a little bit more articulate and a little bit more well spoken, perhaps, then you go, well, let's go to Jacob Rees Mogg then. Someone who is, mm. it's impossible to rile him in an interview. He'll just sit there like that sort of 
posh blamond and just sort of kind of yeah. uh, say it. Well, well, he still talks absolute shit. It's the it, there is an element mm. to 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 the content of what they're saying is also bullshit as well as the presentation. You know. Just one more point. We, I think we'll circle back to that point in a minute. Is just a minor grievance on the fuck you point about um, not the Dean Doris, but I'm a celebrity. Just sick of people who've been in I'm a celebrity thinking that it's something that people want to hear about for the rest of their lives. Like the, some of them had brilliant careers. And then there's these two weeks in the fucking jungle, in inverted commas, which has got lighting, electricity, camera people, security, health and safety officials. Yeah. And every time they pop up in an interview, they're going, oh, it's, oh, it's like I was when I was in the jungle. Like... Why have you let this two-week period? It's not that interesting. I tell you, it probably is really interesting to them. But yes, it's not exactly brave, is it, to get covered? Yeah, like you weren't, you weren't at the Battle of the Somme for fuck's sake. I mean, you literally for for two weeks you went on a diet, and there were cameras. Yeah, and you and you ate a witchy grub. Fuck off. Um, okay. Would you do back. it? Would you do it? Oh God, no. Honestly, worse. I used to have night. I used to have this nightmare about Big Brother that I was accidentally in Big Brother, <laughs> and I would be just trying to find the accident. And I think the nightmare was that I was voted <laughs> off second. Yeah. Like not first, because first is like there's a bit of glam, like you've pissed yeah. people off. Second, second is that no one gives a fuck about yeah. you or anything about you. Um, so no, all all that stuff. I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not at the level where I would be uh, considered. But I don't know, man. Look, if I get done for fucking like a bit of bit of fraud or something, you know, it does feel like the thing that you would do either, like you say, if you're a young starlet coming up, or if you're someone who had a bit of purchase, got done for fraud, <laughs> and hasn't yeah. any mu- any you, money you, for eighteen you- months. Are you likely to get done for fraud anytime soon, Jeff? Yeah, I did think it was weird that I said fraud. Though. I mean, <laughs> of, of, all the, of all the specific Fucking things, hell. no. Yeah. <laughs> Very anal, mate. I, I'll declare a £100 cash gig uh, in Totnes. Okay, let's get into talking in a bit more detail about the big political stories from the weekend. Okay, so Boris, on Friday, ahead of the House of Commons Privileges uh, report, which was seemed to be, it, it, he was shown a copy of it, which suggested that there would be a suspension of 10 days or more, which would have led to the option, I think, for a recall and a, a, a by-election. So he kind of like jumped before he was pushed and came out with a fairly detailed broadside against all the, the blob. I mean, I'm just going to presume that most things now include the word the blob, uh, for the civil service, and um, and uh, a lot of criticisms about like a, it being a kangaroo court and stuff. And I suppose, like, look, I mean, regular listeners will know that I'm not a, a Boris Johnson fan, never really have been. I, I have wondered, though, Tom, for a long time here, is whether time will make this process or this particular investigation look very different. The, the further we get away from COVID, the harder it will be to explain everything that happened as a consequence of these of these rule breaches. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, there's a couple of points there. You said it was a detailed statement, but detail suggests... It's long, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> D- Details suggest sort of fact-heavy, and I think it was sort of mm. fact-averse. I think that, that there, isn't, uh, there isn't a huge amount of surprise that, that this, this is sort of the way it's gone. I, I watched some of his uh, evidence uh, of, of, for this committee and he was essentially asked more than once, will you abide by what we decide? And mm. his answer was constantly, if you find me not guilty, which I I can't believe you will 
won't, then I'll agree with you. So he was all he wouldn't admit that he that he would ever um, accept being found guilty in some way or another. So this was always sort of inevitable, really. But I, I just like I, th I said at the start, if he really believed in in his own innocence here, then mm. it should go to Parliament for the Parliament to vote because then it goes to a recall, which means his constituents have to, you know, it's quite a long process for it to go in, for, for it to actually end up triggering a by-election. So he jumped well before he was pushed. Um, and I, you were talking about there being some, some sort of parallels between uh, uh, him and Sturgeon, but there's a huge amount of parallels between him and Trump this week. I know it's a lazy or, or generally is considered a lazy comparison to make that everything that you don't like is Trumpian, but sort of a lot of that language, the kangaroo court and, uh, you know, it was, he was, he was openly chucking grenades and, and, and mm. in a way that Trump, you know, this is definitely a sabotage move, you know I mean? And it's definitely not the end of it. Um, well, there, there was some talk about an amendment to um, bar Boris from ever standing for Parliament again. And I thought this is real fucking overreach now. I know that yeah. there are a lot of people who despise him. I'm not a fan of him. I don't despise him. And it gets to the point where sometimes when people win, they don't just win. They have to then rout the opposition because, I don't know, Boris, he, there's a lot of reasons to to be uh, agitated about him as a person, but he evokes emotions in other people, like both for positive and negative, like I've never seen. Yeah. So people want to keep sort of chasing him out. And I think like, I, I think that that is, I think that's massive overreach. It, there, there is but, definitely but, but, but a sense you, that... But you, but you, you say that, that he, you know, the, the, the dramatic manner in which he decided to leave under his own terms with that huge long... It's like he's decided to create mm. this... He's decided to go nuclear with it, and mm. and because that's his way. Yeah, but no, there's talk of a, a, of an so, amendment. So, so, there's I talk see, of an I amendment see. to whatever a table of, of him. Never, now this this may just be um, absolute bollocks, but I actually I actually think that that if anything that would run the risk of, of yeah. sort of making people more sympathetic. I wonder if there's there's an element of all of this, which is a bit like Al Capone getting done for tax. That was like, if you exactly look at, <laughs> what I was going to say. It's like if you look at the totality of everything he's done, you go, there's there's a big call sheet here for him to not be involved in politics again. If you look at this thing, I don't know if this alone is enough. But 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 I but I think you're, you're, you're I, I think that's an excellent way of looking at it. It's like yeah, you had to get Al Capone on something. Uh, and yeah. so you get him not for all the murders. You get him for that fucking technicality. So that, but we, but they, ha you have to be careful that there is the evidence there. That, and it's not. Let's be honest. This isn't about him having a few drinks at number ten. It's about him lying about it. It's about you know the charges that the call sheet against him is. Did you either lie about it or did you behave in such a sort of stupid manner that it is reckless? Mm. And it's one or the other, right? You either knew that you were breaking the rules and then you lied about it, but if you didn't know you were breaking the rules, you're fucking stupid. Uh, and, uh, and to me, it's always been f that kind of simple. Um, so, so uh, but, but yeah, they, they have to be careful because people have lost interest in it. But I think what has happened mm. is but less and less people believe a word that Boris has said. It has worked in that respect.
There was also the sort of veto of several people on his honours list. And and Rishi, which I thought was really funny. Now Boris is basically out of political contention for at least a three to five year cycle, you would think. Is that Rishi is quite, quite happy to now say, well, you know, yeah, I've, I've vetoed some of those. And if people don't like it, tough. I'd yeah. say to Rishi, first up, don't use that word. OK, yeah. that is if, if you, you know those word clouds that they do about people. Yeah. That would be orbiting at a distance. You know how far away other galaxies are from yeah. our galaxy? That would be where the word tough is. I think he should just keep it clinical and say, look, I just didn't think it was the right thing to do. It did remind me a little bit of when Ed Miliband was asked by Paxman, uh, are you t- tough enough? And M- Ed Miliband said, yeah, I'm tough enough. Top t- uh, t- he couldn't even fucking say oh, the word. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he couldn't even say the word uh, tough. So, so, you know, like it's much, in a way, this has made it a bit easier for Rishi because there's no immediate threat of a comeback but you know in terms of the people that the 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 sort of the most vehement opponents of Boris Johnson they've always thought that he kind of embodies populism like he's the kind of talisman for populism which tonally I think he is policy wise I'm not so sure right and you know if you look he he sort of Look at put it this way: the public, I think that they're more towards Farage on immigration, right, and f- probably towards Corbyn on economics. I don't know if the idea that populism's gone away forever is evidenced by Boris Johnson going away. Well, there, there, I suppose there are two types of populism, right? You've got sort of the Bolsonaro populism, right, which is sort of rooted in an actual <clears throat> political philosophy, right? I don't think Trump or Boris. Certainly Trump has a political philosophy, which is why actually Trump was slightly less dangerous than he could have been, because it's just the me show. It's just the fucking Trump show. Mm. And I think Boris and and Nadine Doris are are that type of populism. They play the way they play their politics is, is in that populist vain say what mm. uh, say one thing one day and something completely different the next depending on what's happening that day and just denying you said the opposite the next day but it's it's all to pers- your personal ends and that almost makes them a little bit safer <laughs> to, to a certain extent like boris isn't an ardent fucking brexiteer unless being an ardent, ardent brexiteer mm. gets him into number 10 and suits him um so that i i, I take your point that there, there doesn't seem to be that sort of uh, either right-wing or, or left-wing populist political fucking aim. The aim is to get to the top and stay there as long as possible and make sure that your rich mates share with some of the bunts. That's the politics. Well, that, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, there was a bit of a kind of ding-dong, the witch is dead for, for populism. But that's why I think that the left often accuse people on the right of being seduced by tone and style and bluster. And then I think both wings are, are susceptible to it. I mean, if you look at someone like Sadiq Khan, right, who looks odds-on to win a third term in office, you ask anybody, what has Sadiq Khan done to make London better? And they'll, they'll sort of say, well, he, 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 he took the piss out of Trump, you know what I mean? Or he made this stance about this, or, or you know, he referenced the NHS in a fireworks display. And you're like, that's the fucking same thing. Yeah. It's the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, gest- yeah. it's gesture yeah. politics. It's not, there's no fucking big idea. There's no interest in policies other than making, you know, just sort of rinsing money out of people who've got old fucking vans. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of with you with with, in, with him. I I can't see his as a Londoner. I mean, yeah. with, with Livingston, you could see change. With Boris, yeah, I mean, yeah, I yeah. couldn't fucking believe that he was voted in twice by the London Metropolitan mm. League. But 
that, that did, things did happen. Sadiq Khan just seems to be like, shut the fuck up, don't really do much, uh, you know, open the new wing of the Tate Modern every now and then, and, and that's sort of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, there is that sort of... I mean, Corbyn was kind of a weird populist movement because, of course, he didn't have hmm. personality. What he actually did have was policies, right, whether you agree yes, with them or not. Yeah. Like his manifesto, uh, when he... Uh, did rather well against Theresa May. Yeah, that manifesto was a policy fucking goldmine for left-wingers. And that's mm. almost, in spite of his uh, personality issues, uh, that, that was actually a populist movement that was driven by a political ideology rather than personality. Actually, we could talk about, about Sturgeon a bit, although I think we have sort of indirectly. I mean... She's another example of what we're saying about about style over substance. A lot of the metropolitan elite kind of liked her because she was, you know, she's a female leader, she's a strong leader, really good communicator, hated Boris, hated Brexit, and, and so therefore she was somehow a good politician. Whereas actually, if you look at record, right, you know, the record of her time in office in Scotland, what has got better, you know, drug, the worst drug deaths in Europe, you know. A, a tricky relationship with respecting d- democratic outcomes. And now, however, this, you know, she got arrested. She was released without charge for now, but it appears that the investigation is ongoing. Is she another one of these figures whereby people have kind of got, uh, she's put a spell on people to an extent? I think I think that spell, weirdly, is more apparent in England and w- because we don't know what she's actually like as a politician mm. and what she's done, we just see her on the telly when she's talking about this, that, or the other. So she's having to go at Boris. You're absolutely right. She's having to go at Boris or the, these sort of the, the seemingly kind of lefty things. So we think, oh, she's good. We don't actually see whether mm. she's effective as a politician or not because we don't live in Scotland. We don't give a shit. And the, the SNP for some time has kind of been a one policy. It's not, but if you really simplify, it's like we want to, li- mm. you know, we want out. And again, English people don't really give a shit. Yeah, whatever. Don't care. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's difficult to sort of judge her because, um, it, it, yeah, she's been an easy one. Oh, I like her. Yeah, I like her. W- what's she achieved? Absolutely no idea, but I quite like her. Um, yeah, she said, yeah. but that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. She she sort of says the right things. And I, I met her. I was on a panel with her. I was on a panel with her at the uh, Edinburgh Fringe and I have never seen like the kind of cult of personality around a leader. I know Boris had it to an extent, but and and look, it was the way she had an entourage and people were coming up to her going, first minister, like almost like kind of uh, tugging their forelocks in yeah. front of her, calling her first minister, wanting to touch her, you know, and you talk about the halo effect. She had it and I was like, fuck me. Like, I, I'm not saying that everybody in Scotland felt this way, but I wonder if, I suppose, because of her position in the gender debate, there were people that felt that she was a, a sort of a, a, a guardian on, on that level as well. There was that, but again, I think, again, as an English person, I, when I talk to a Scottish person who really believes in independence then, of course, she was the person that you kind of go, it, it is like sort of mm. rather messianic. You, you are kind of following her, going, she can lead us to the fucking light on, the, yeah, on this yeah. one issue. So I, I kind of understood where, I mean, I think, you know, the, the party's over, uh, excuse the pun, for a while. And therefore, you know, Scottish independence is now totally off the uh, off the agenda whilst the SNP sort themselves out. Um, I think they're going to, you know, I think there's a win for Labour and there's probably a win for the Tories in the next election. Up well, this, it's lovely. 
it's lovely how organic this conversation is going. So Keir Starmer's luck. Let's talk about Keir Starmer's good fortune here. Given the stories that have broke recently and, and, and you know, throughout the last two years, I do think that the next thing that's likely to happen would be a photo, historic photos of Ed Vasey at Epstein Island. If you're just thinking what, how, how fucking fortunate this yeah. guy is getting. Yeah. I mean, you look at the, the poll lead that Labour have got. He's almost like an inheritance off a mad uncle, like a surprise inheritance. Guy, you didn't even know. It, Labour were, bear in mind, up to Owen Patterson, Labour was still behind in the polls, yeah. right? And then they, you know, after Partygate broke, they started to go six points behind. Liz Trust, fucking like, you know, 20 points in front. And, I mean, and, you know, as I spoke... As a numbers game, it couldn't be better for Labour, right? Because you go, the red wall was always a Brexit thing. And whatever we think about Brexit, Brexit has now been done to a certain extent. It's, the next election isn't going to be fought on Brexit, right? So yeah, that's yeah. the red wall, a lot of the red wall coming back to Labour. Everyone's pissed off with the Tories. And down in the West Country, uh, you don't vote Labour, but you vote Lib Dem. And they seem to be, you know, they're, they're back a little bit. Mm. The SNP's collapse is... A fantastic win for Labour. It's theirs to fucking lose, but don't don't hold your breath. Keir Starmer could could fuck it up right royally. Well, he. I mean, he, I mean, there's obviously you know his voice. You know, just yeah. the moment he starts, yeah. you know, talking. It's the same with Miliband. Think, oh, same with Miliband. You're like, you, know, why can't you get someone with just you know a normal mouth? Just, yeah, or, or dub him over, you know, like with uh, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, Adams. Jerry Adams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> Just the voice of Keir Starmer yeah. being voiced by Ray Winston. Yeah. I mean, that that's what Nicola Sturgeon did have, which it, whether she was a human being or not. She had the appearance when she was speaking of speaking yeah. like a normal human being. But, uh, yeah, I mean, actually, I've seen Keir, Keir Starmer. He was interviewed, I think, by the news agents or whoever they are. Uh, hmm. And... In conversation, you go, oh, see, now you're sounding human. Yeah, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen I, that. Yeah. I interviewed Ed Miliband a couple of years ago, and I did actually ask him the question because he was articulate, he was funny, he was he knew his shit, he was able to kind of, if you gave him a question, he'd be able to sort of change his mind like a human being. And I did say to him, <coughs> why is it, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> smoker's cough, um, <laughs> uh, I did say to him, why when leaders are running for high office, why do they sound like androids? And then the minute they're hmm. spat out the other end, you hear them interviewed and you go, why couldn't you, you're talking like a normal human being, why can't you talk like that now? Hmm. Do, do you know, I mean, why couldn't you talk like that then? Uh, because I'd have voted for you. So, I mean, given, given like Starmer's good fortune, given that Labour are pretty much certain to be the biggest party in the next election, I have noticed recently that a lot of, t particularly centre-left guys, are, t are sort of really fucking angry. And it, it's really counter-intuitive. And I'm sort of trying to work out, like, what, you know, why is that? Is it because they're, they're angry at everything that's been, been in the past, right? Is it because that they realised they've thought for a couple of years that Labour would definitely win a big majority, but the talk now seems to be that that's going to be difficult. Is it because Labour are, are clearly going to have to water down, you know, basically be diet Tories to get in power? What What is what is that? Because I suppose what's happened in this country the last 13 years, during the period of social media that we've all spoken about politics online, 
If you're on the left, you've had hypothetical moral certainty throughout that time. Everything you voted for didn't happen, so you yes. were definitely right. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. there a bit of pressure that comes with fi- fuck? Finally, I'm going to be the overdog here, and it's it's not quite the same position, is I, it? I think so. And what it isn't is a charismatic leader hmm. sweeping into number ten. It's not a bold uh, new direction for, for the country with with some uh, hmm. fundamental problem solving when it comes to immigration that we can all get on board with because it is fucked but let, let's uh, uh you know or, or it's gonna be like you say center probably uh economically slightly right of center uh do you know what i mean mm. and, and it's not i mean tony blair i never voted for that cunt and i fucking hated him but but at, <laughs> at least there was an appearance of massive massive change when he went yes, in and to yeah. a certain extent there was suddenly the NHS and education were actually being invested in. There was there was a fundamental change, I suppose, but he managed to hide how centrist it was. I mean, to mm. a certain extent. I mean, he had to rename the fucking uh, party New Labour just to make sure it's you know not actually to do. That. Yeah, but, change the constitution a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, and and if we were in any doubt, he then invaded the country. We're like, all right, uh, maybe Labour have changed. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Whereas I think he's, you know he's going in as you know I am part of the establishment. I am sir. I am you know. Yeah. Uh, um, but to be honest, I can't fucking wait because actually it won't. I believe that it won't take long. Twelve. 18 months for there to be a fundamental for, for there to be some benefits from I, I do think Labour will invest more in public services and uh, try and sort out the you know the fucking cost of living crisis I hope and, and actually th- things are pretty fucking bad in this country economically for a huge amount of people and therefore actually mm. you don't actually have to do too much for there to be change that everybody can feel um, and I, and I hope that's what, what what will happen is actually you kind of go, God he's a bit of a dick and he doesn't he doesn't talk like a human being and they are a bit fucking centre and why aren't they doing enough about climate change but after a year or so you go fucking hell I can afford my rent and uh, we're not pouring shit into the sea you only have to do two or three things to kind of go oh there's a demonstrable improvement in this country. Okay, I uh, hope you're enjoying the chat with me and Tom here. Just a quick hype is that I will be at the Edinburgh Festival from the 14th to the 27th. So that's a two-week run, and it's the first time to see my new show, Basic Bloke. And I'll be at the Underbelly Festival there. And then, obviously, the tour shows in the autumn. There's, I mean, it's now at nearly 80% capacity. So just, and that's, I'm already getting this. You probably have this, Tom, is people go, dude, you, like, even though we tweet about it constantly, like constantly, someone go, dude, are you going to add a Newcastle date? You go, hey, or how about you just have a look, fucking organise yourself? Have a look, yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's literally a link. People will say, right, you'll tweet and say, oh, all dates follow this link, and then there'll be a question: Are you coming to Top Ness? Are have you going to click on a link? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it all the time. I, I always play the Lowry in Manchester. I don't play anywhere in Manchester, so it's Salford because people get really annoyed if you mm. call it Manchester, but hundreds of people going why aren't you playing manchester and you're like oh it's just a small bus ride you yeah know? i mean it's four minutes that way but anyway yeah ourselves i mean you'd think that people generally if you just go google my surname or your surname the town that you live in i think even that the top response for that i think maybe we're missing the point here is that they're going look if i'm going to pay for a ticket you're going to give me a bit of fucking interaction yeah i want online, a personal so maybe... message with the link please yeah 
Yeah, 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 maybe this is how that we could both finally end up selling tickets in Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> Can I plug my show? Absolutely. I've got a, a live tour next year, February, March. Uh, tickets are out now, jonathanpie.com. Great. And what's the name it's of the It's called tour? Jonathan Pie Heroes and Villains. Um, and as you will well know, Jeff, when in, a year before you start touring, when they ask you for a name, uh, yeah. you just have to come up with any old thing. So it felt generic enough for me to be able to go, I can kind of base a show around that. So I don't know what it's about, but it's Jonathan Pie Heroes and Villains. And I've gone for basic bloke. So I think both yeah. of us are basically... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying... That can be fucking anything. Okay, we're going to talk now about your show uh, on BBC Sounds. And I think that, you know, I'm selling this to people. I know that there'll be people that listen to this that, that they'll kind of, you know, there'll be, be a sort of hate listen because they'll think that guy, you know, they'll have a perception of you as incredibly uh, left-wing, part of the metropolitan elite. I, w- I, would, I would point to something early on is that you say in the very first episode, you call the BBC a socialist endeavour, Right. Uh, and I think that that was quite a spicy thing to do for you. And and it did make me think of just a, an interesting question off the back of that. Is, is is Britain more socialist than we give it credit for? Or, or, or is Britain more socialist than we think? Because we have got a national health service, got a state broadcaster, a very prescriptive national curriculum, fairly high taxation. I mean, is that the big secret about Britain is that it's really fucking left wing? It just postures <laughs> as right wing. Well, well, to be fair, I call the BBC a socialist endeavour so that I can then, uh, so I can hit them at all sides, really. Basically, me, me doing mm. a show on the BBC, I've got into more shit from people for selling out to the BBC than I have for anything I've ever done before. And I thought it's going to be really important then to set my stall out in the first episode and take a fucking hammer to the BBC on all sides so that I can attack it as being this lefty socialist ideal and then in the third reel uh, of, of that episode actually call it a Tory mouthpiece. And Because the thing with the BBC is no matter what side of the fence you're on, if you're a right-wing person, you think it's a lefty fucking conspiracy. Yeah. If you're left-wing, you think it's run by fucking Tories. So I just re- it was really important for me, for, for fans who think I've sold out to just take a torch to the BBC, I suppose, but I think I think you're absolutely right. You, if you point out the, the reason Americans hate the NHS is because fundamentally it's socialized medicine, and they're like, but that's mm. communism, right? They they don't understand that socialism is actually sort of part of capitalism, right? I mean, the way I see socialism, it just kind of pulls in the reins of capitalism. Go, can we just share this out a little bit? Do you know what I mean? It, it it's it's there because of capitalism. So yeah, yeah, I think. I think you're absolutely right. Our healthcare system, our, the BBC, to a certain extent, the education system, they are. And it wasn't that it wasn't that uh, long ago that the railways, the waterways, mm-hmm. that it was all. Yeah, if you think you about the, I mean? the 60s. Yeah. yeah, I mean, after, you know, the New Deal and, you know, after... Uh, that Labour government in in the in the fifties, yeah, it's it sort of maybe that's been the, the process of all Tory governments is trying to just fucking to rein that in a little bit rather than rein capitalism in, uh, rein but socialism I think, I, in. But I, think, I mean, well, they didn't they didn't just rein it in though, did they? Because I mean, you, you know, nothing is is you know if you look at what's happening with you know the water companies, uh, you go yeah. that that's that's obscene. 
that, that this is what uh, denationalization uh, or or, uh, or privatization has done is you go it's more about the shareholders than whether you're throwing shit into our rivers or uh, the the rail service or whatever the fuck it is you kind of go we could have we didn't have to go all in did we do you know what I mean and and that uh, yeah perhaps Thatcherism was a response to over socialized uh, public services but I think we need to redress that balance back quite. Um, I mean, you mentioned like Wait, in the show as well, like some, there was um, some great lines, you know, one of the characters calls the, um, the one show. Well, I mean, you do the line. It was, how did they oh, describe uh, the one uh, show? It's uh, Blue Peter for the elderly. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then like uh, one of the people that works at the BBC sort of so, talks about a talent pool. I think it, and then it's called uh, a, it's a, a puddle. Uh, 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 yes, a, a smaller and smaller puddle of talent at the BBC. It's just, <laughs> I, I love this notion that generally, I mean, obviously there are comparisons between me and Alan Partridge, but but uh, I'm a poor man's Alan, really, but Alan always wanted to be at the BBC. He wanted to get on the mm. gravy train, whereas actually there's been a fundamental shift in the last decade or so. Everyone's fucking leaving. And it's this idea that Pi is actually just stuck there, stuck in this BBC that's imploding, and he wants to get off. Uh, he wants to get out of there. And um, it's, yeah, I, it, it's been the most... It was fucking intense to write because they asked me for 10 episodes. They're half an hour long. And that was six months ago. It got commissioned and I've kind of written it from scratch. So that's why there's been no kind of content out on my other platforms. But um, I fucking love it. It's the first time I've delivered something where I'm like, I'm also I'm fully aware that it might not be what people want from Pi because it isn't just him being fucking angry all the time. He's there with other characters. Mm. It's clearly much more clearly a fiction he's cl he's much more clearly a fictional character and and i can make him wrong and it can make him more belligerent and much more of an arsehole than I, than I suppose he is when he's just ranting to camera but moreover than anything else i just wanted it to be funny rather than true you know or you know mm. full of truth bombs and well, they are I mean, there, is... but but it, for me it was much more about the comedy and this sort of dramatic art that he's dumped in to do this call call-in show and he's completely out of his fucking depth and you go right what what happens, you know? Well, that is the setup, isn't it? Is is that he's he's done his sort of political podcast journalism, and then he's roped in to do a phone in call, and, and he's like brutal with the public. He's he's not very politically correct around a, a deaf woman calling in and stuff. Yeah. So I, I I think I I really yeah. I really um I really enjoyed it, and I, I think that it it's a different it's a different media isn't it so i think cm pi yeah. operating in that is is well worth checking out for people i mean just one quick quick question is that and i think i know the answer to this but how will pi cope with a labor government i was asked this the other day uh, uh, it's not so much how pi will cope it's like how 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 will i cope uh, it's going to be difficult mm. because like you go essentially he's my side right essentially mm. i am a natural labor voter i, th I think Although I'm perfectly happy to, you know, mm. um, see what's going on. Well, you uh, you, but, you but, lot sleep around on the left, don't you? That's the thing on the left. They're sort of polyamorous politically. They'll have a fuck the Lib Dems one week, the Greens the other oh, yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the, Tor the Tories are like monogamous. No, no, work for life. We make like swans. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in a bit of tactical voting here and there or whatever. That's how you play in the game, right? That's, that's how you play up, you know. So it will be difficult to get the balance right of holding uh, Starmer and Labour to account whilst not pissing off 
entirely my core audience. But I think I think it's doable. I mean, but it's just going to be. I don't think what you'll have is quite those characters of the Nadine Dorries, the the Boris Johnsons. You, we're not going to get a Liz Truss in any any time soon. Do you know? I mean, I I was very happy when Liz Truss got outed after like twenty days because you go. It did give me some faith. You go, actually, even the Tories mm. gone, we've gone too far. But I do wish she'd have st- stuck around a bit longer because I never really got to get to know and love her. So, and, and I also, uh, where where Pie can go, and he does particularly with this podcast, you go, I didn't want this podcast to be topical. I didn't want it to be about Rishi Sunak and Nadine Doris and mm. all these names that I, I've been so used to for the last seven or eight years making content that is disposable. It's it's relevant today, but it's tomorrow's, you know. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Chip paper. So this one is about topics rather than being topical, and 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 that would be also. I mean, there's still going to be wokery gone fucking too far under Starmer, probably more so. So you, there are just there are other things perhaps that I can attack, and you never know. We might have Trump back. So you know, I think he'll. Well, one of the things I said about Trump is is if Trump is president at the same time that Rishi is prime minister. It will be the most hilarious meeting, just on a size level, yeah. and and I reckon he'll keep on picking Rishi up. That's what that's my prediction. Yeah, give him a little. Is he'll hug. just keep pick pick him up, and and then one of the A's will just be going, Donald, come on, Donald. He he is not a toy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just do a quick a quick letter here. Just um, this is just a letter from um, one of my patrons. It's from Chris Hornsby. Remember, people, if you join up to the patron, uh, you can direct message me and ask questions. Some of which I'll read out on the podcast, but I do respond to every message. Uh, advice, please. We are trying to arrange a golf weekend for eight of us in September, and we've been playing it on on and off once a year uh, for 20 years. We're all dads and these kind of weekends are hard to sort out due to life getting in the way. The best weekend after a poll of seven of the eight. Uh, has seven of us available out of the eight but the problem is the only person not available is the original founder of the weekend to make matters worse the trophy we play for is actually named after him should we sacrifice him or arrange another weekend which would mean we are short of a few other players instead um well this is this is an interesting dilemma here what a, a golf weekend what a dilemma fucking hell i mean this is stumped me seven out i, I look I, I go with with majorities um, but, I, yeah, but, I think you go ahead with Aaron. It seems quite clear. Do they do this every year? Yes, but yeah. Then, and as they're getting older, it's harder to find weekends. You know that thing you have to do now in a WhatsApp group where you have to do a poll of who's free this day, that day. I mean, it's hilarious that that's become a thing in our life. He, I think maybe he needs to put him back in his place. Maybe he's got a bit complacent over the years, just thinking automatically his first name on the team sheet. But presumably, just because your name's above the door, mate. Presumably, Presumably you're all adults, right? Presumably this guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, have a chat, talk about it. Uh, the majority of you go. And also, honestly, if if he kicks off about this, boot him out the fucking mm. group. Yes. And tell him yes, go up. the other way. Or, or, Pun- yeah, punish him way. in a way but, for not... Or this year, he's not there, just mm. change the fucking rules. Make your own golf game yeah. up. So the next year when he comes back, oh, no, we do this now. Yeah. Uh, or freak him out by calling it like, say, for example, his name's James Smith. Just call it the James Smith Memorial Golf Day. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. and then just say like you told everyone there that he's dead and you got a lot of sympathy and free drinks, so he now can't come uh, anymore. Yeah. And also, just to make it worse, just tell him how fucking great it was. Like like this year, this was more than bang. any year yeah. in many ways. This was the banger. Yeah, this was. 
Uh, absolute, absolute Hall of Fame. So I think that the answer we've come to here is rather than being grown up and empathetic about it, just be heartless and, and cruel and exclusionary. And, and and the good thing about a group of blokes is, is yes, there will be one person upset by that, but the majority will find it very funny yeah. and, and that's what really matters. What most people think. Okay, uh, <laughs> on, that, on that heartless bombshell here, I just want to say, uh, Tom Walker, uh, thanks very much for coming back on the podcast. Obviously, follow Tom's, uh, all of Tom's social content go and book tickets for next year's tour and the show uh, just remind me of the title again call jonathan pie um call jonathan pie is available now on, on bbc and for Sounds. any of you cunts who are like i'm not listening to anything on the bbc it is also available weekly wherever you get your podcasts yes and and and, and you, you, calling them cunts i think is a genius way of enticing them in, over the definitely line. yeah 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 did you hear that <laughs> okay <laughs> Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode of uh, What Most People Think. Jonathan Pye, Tom Walker, thanks for being on the show. Thank you.